0: Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. The Near East is the place of origin of the three Abrahamic religions Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Unfortunately, political developments in that region have led to declines in interreligious pluralism in much of the region. And the Christian communities that have lived in the region since the origin of the religion have dwindled. Joining us to discuss the prospects for Christian communities in the Near East is Robert Nicholson, president of the Philos Project. Uh, Robert, thank you for joining us. Before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what the Philos Project is about and what you guys do?
1: Sure, Mike. Thank you for having me. I am a Christian. I'm an American. I'm a trained attorney. I'm a Marine or former Marine, depending on who you ask. Um, uh, more importantly, I'm the president and founder of the PhiloS project. The PhiloS project, uh, has the mission of promoting positive Christian engagement in the near East. And we do education, we do advocacy. All of it is intended to, uh, get Christians in the United States, in the West from different communities, different Christian, uh, denominations, different ethnic uh, backgrounds, national backgrounds, to understand their connection to this part of the world and to take action on some of the most pressing issues of, of liberty and justice.
0: So I guess just give us the like elevator pitch background for why uh, why American listeners, especially American Christians, should care about Christianity in the Near East.
1: Well... I'll come to the Christian issues at the end. The first thing I would say is that the Near East is the the hinge of the world, right? This is where uh, Asia, Africa, and Europe come together. And whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or somebody of no faith at all, what happens in this region ought to um, be you know recognize as the kind of thing that will affect you eventually, right It's historically this is where our civilization has come from right And so we're affected from the past. but even today, right the things that happen in Jerusalem, in Damascus, in Cairo, these things never stay in those cities they they for better or worse uh, ripple around the world. and for my part, I think that it's important that, uh, Americans, the United States of America do whatever can be done in terms of engagement there now preemptively than uh, kind of sit back and just say well everybody'll kind of sort out their own problems it's not it's not our not our issue as as Christians and I don't care which part of the global church you come from it's pretty obvious that everything we are everything that matters to us about who we are comes from this part of the world, right? Christianity is not American; it's not European; it's it's Near Eastern; it's, we, we it's are, Hebraic.
0: We, we are we are going to publish this uh, actually the week of Christmas, which, as we all know, occurred in Bethlehem, which is in the Near East.
1: That's right. And you go to Bethlehem today, you'll hear Arabic. You're, you're not going to hear uh, you know French or English, and that's seems like a, an interesting point, maybe for some people, but not necessarily a compelling one, what I would say to them is that a, the fullest understanding one can have of one's Christian faith can only be had when that, when that faith is understood in the context of this region, right? It doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian if you've never thought about the Near East, but if you really want to understand it from the inside out, right, if you really want to get in Jesus's head, if that matters to you, then this region, the place where he grew up, should uh should be important right he can't, he wasn't just some anodyne human being he spoke a language he had a certain whatever skin tone and he he grew up in a culture he certain things mattered to him more than others and uh the, the, you know the, place, the
0: places and the the places in the story are all actual places
1: they're all actual it's funny i' lead groups to to the holy land often it's one of the most frequent comments people make to me is wow, this is a real place. And I, I knew that, but until I stood here today, it never really clicked, right? It's kind of like Narnia for people, the, the, the Bible and all of these stories.
0: So we mentioned in the, in the in the introduction that the Christian communities in the Near East have, have dwindled in size and dwindled in uh you know, in, in in membership, what what has been the cause of that?
1: Well, it's it's external and it's internal, and they go together. I think I'd be lying if I didn't say, based on the historical record, the obvious answer to the question is the uh, triumph of Islam. This region was at one point. Uh, Christian. This was a Christian region, which is hard to imagine places like Egypt, Syria, Iraq as being in the Christian world. But in fact, they were. And Islam came from the Arabian Peninsula, uh, conquered, colonized the region. And slowly over time, right, if we had data from back then, we would see the graph of Christian populations from that moment on gradually declining now it didn 't happen all at once. A lot of people mistakenly believe the Muslims came and either like converted everybody or killed everybody it 's not what happened. They were perfectly content for Christians and other non Muslim minorities to pay a tax right for for that privilege of retaining their faith and uh, to use it as a source of revenue um, but inevitably over centuries. People began to convert. There was a lot of social pressure, tons of discrimination, you know, at best, kind of a Jim Crow status for Christians. Uh, There were economic incentives for converting. Uh, You could, you know, if you're a guy, you get four wives. That's always a persuasive uh, kind of uh, argument. And ever since. Right. You'd see that graph going down and down and down. Now, of course after the fall of the caliphate in 1924 after the kind of implosion of the islamic world and over the last century you've seen these communities caught in the crossfire sometimes it's outright state-sponsored discrimination you see that in some of these states oftentimes the states are kind of neutral maybe even pro-christian in terms of protecting their religious freedom but people on the street are not. You kind of have this mob violence. And then there's another kind of pressure that Christians face, which is actually not about Christianity at all. It's just a function of an unstable, chaotic, war-torn region, and Christians being small and weak, bearing the brunt of of the pressure and feeling that they have to leave. And really right now, in the time we've you know been running the Philos Project since 2014, the big crisis is actually just people leaving right trying to saying you know first we had uh, al-qaeda then we had isis it's like never going to end enough like i just i just want to go to canada It's their right to do that easier easier,
0: it's easier to immigrate than to stay in a place where
1: yeah yeah it's and and you, you know it's very hard to sit in that room you know in iraq or in jordan with iraqi refugees and tell them oh, come on, you know, it's. we need Christianity to stay in the region. I mean, they, they care about their kids. They care about their their future. And so you can't fault them. But for our part at Philos, we're, we're very interested in trying as much as possible to solve the issues upstream so that Christians, Christians can stay, and not in some kind of ghetto, but to be accepted as, as you know, equal members of society and be able to prosper like everyone else. That's really the goal for us when we think about the issue.
0: I guess that brings us to uh, the Philos Project Initiative, Abraham's Missing Child Initiative. What's, what's that about?
1: So I wrote an article back in uh, the beginning of last year where I said, I love this new thing called the Abraham Accords. And I don't know if, how much your listeners follow that. But at the end of 2020, there was this kind of shocking announcement that four Arab states would make peace with Israel, Morocco, Sudan, United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain, and everybody was like, wow, this is amazing. Finally, Arab-Israeli peace. We're always talking about Arab-Israeli conflict. Arab-Israeli cooperation, that's, that's new, you know, because the peace between Egypt and Israel and Jordan and Israel, which happened in the 70s and in the 90s, respectively, never really translated into, like, good feelings. So, to see these deals come through is very exciting for all of us. But at the end of the day, I wrote in this article, it's really kind of a Muslim-Jewish deal. And last I checked, when you talk about Abrahamic religions, there are three of them. <laughs> Christianity's one. So where are the Christians? Why are they not benefiting from all of this peace and pluralism and coexistence? Like, How do we get them to, to benefit from that momentum? And that was the start of it. So what we're trying to do we're about halfway through this project, started last year, well, this year, um, is to bring together a group of Christians, Jews, and Muslims from inside the region to design, think of it as almost a kind of Ten Commandments or a a list of best practices for non-Christian states with Christian minority populations on how how to strengthen them, right? So more than just they should be able to worship, that's like that's baseline of course they should be able to worship religious freedom number 1 but there's also these other questions that speak to other aspects of of these christians identity which is physical security economic prosperity cultural preservation right if you want to help them you need to you need to think about them holistically it's not enough to say okay they can pray in a church they need to be able to stay there right they need to be sustainable so this this project abraham's missing child or amc as we sometimes call it will will culminate in september of next year in a uh, kind of a public proclamation uh, wherein this group of jews christians and muslims releases this document and then proceeds to go kind of state by state in the region and try to get um, these states to implement some of the recommendations that we made, and we've been working with those states already in advance of that uh, publication, to you know get them to help us help them, you know, and and thankfully we've actually had a lot of interest, which I think is really one of the more hopeful indicators of the region these days.
0: Uh, Sarah, do you have any questions? Do you have questions for Robert?
2: Uh, yes, I do, actually. Thank you, Robert, for joining us. Um, so I'm actually interested. I, I knew about the Abraham's Missing Child Initiative, um, but I'm really, really interested also in the, the FELIS Action League, um, given the sort of rise of anti-Semitism, because it looks to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, It looks to me like this is attempting to engage Christians to call out, condemn, uh, work toward sort of ending sort of this rash of this new rash of anti-Semitism. Is that what that is?
1: You got it. You know, we we see anti-Semitism on the rise. This this really started the germ of it in in 2020. Crazy year for all kinds of reasons. But you Mm -hmm. saw people showing up in the streets. Right. Put the, put their ideologies aside. But we saw the power of physical presence. We also saw this tremendous uptick in anti-Semitism. I remember I saw a, a video, I think it was on social media, of a group of Christians in Britain, uh, like in Manchester or Liverpool, who, in response to some act of Islamophobia, gathered outside of a mosque and kind of linked arms and they were holding signs and saying things like, you know, you pray, we'll, we'll stand watch or something. And I thought, well, that's cool. Like the Christians would, you know, show some kind of solidarity with their, their, you know, fellow citizens. But immediately after that thought came another one, which is why have I never seen anything like that for Christians? Um, standing, you know, around Jewish synagogues, right? We come directly from Judaism as Christians, right? Our faith is inconceivable without the Jewish backdrop. And yet, despite a lot of goodwill, I'd say vast amounts of goodwill within the American Christian community for Jews, notwithstanding all the you know, theological differences that we have, it doesn't seem to have occurred to anyone that we should actually physically show up right? You know, swastikas on gravestones, you know, rocks through windows of kosher delis or verbal attacks, physical attacks. You know, our offices are in New York City. Almost every week, there's something happening. You know, so let me tell you, data. We started the Philos Action League, PAL, we call it PAL. Um, <laughs>
2: That's a uh, really great acronym, actually. Right? Yeah. Goes,
1: so Philos in Greek means friend. So it kind of is like synonymous in a way. Okay. So we started it, and only when we started it do we realize how bad it is. So let me tell you, we this year alone, 2022, 128 responses for the Philos Action League, where these these are Philos finds out about some act of anti-Semitism, works, you know, the network of of people who are members, gets them to respond. You know, they show up. They're, they're bringing, usually usually they're bringing a, a bouquet of white roses, which is a an allusion to an anti-Nazi movement in the 1930s. And a, kind of a postcard saying, hey, we're Christians. We're in your neighborhood. Just wanted to let you know in this low moment, you have friends. We're here. Sign the Philos Project. 128 times we had to do that this year. And that wasn't even all the attacks. And it wasn't just in New York City. This is all over the country. So this is like this is a huge problem it's a huge problem for jews it's a huge problem for christians right for moral reasons that the jewish people are being attacked in our country but i think to me when i think historically the the uptick in anti-semitism in a country is almost always a an indicator that 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 society is sick for like other reasons right it means like something's going wrong It's, it's it's a
0: sign that things are going badly
1: Exactly. It's like a bellwether. People, suddenly everything's going bad, you blame the Jews. And so I worry about our country just as much as I worry about the Jewish community. So, Philos Action League is trying to do that. We have 2,000 members, all 50 states. We, we want to like double all of that um, in the next and, year. That's the and
2: goal. you're setting sort of an example on the ground for the larger, I think, mission of Philos. when you're talking about something like, uh, Abraham's missing child, where you're actually trying to get these nations to show up. Right. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, and I think that's great, you know, uh, what's what's the scriptural um saying uh as above so below i think i might i might have that backwards but (laughs) the microcosm and the macrocosm so that's that's wonderful it's a very smart strategy and i'm wondering what you think about i know mike wanted to talk to you about netanyahu um who's back uh and he just recently and you know i'm just wondering if you can Tell me what you think about this. He just recently called for the U.S. to kind of reaffirm their, reaffirm their alliances in the region, um, including Saudi Arabia, and so that seems to be in line with what you're also working toward. Um, how do you respond to that?
1: I think it's crucial that the United States strengthen the pro-Western, pro-American alliance in the region, and such a thing exists. I know a lot of. Americans just think, well, especially after the last 20 years, this region, let's just leave it alone, right? We, we, don't, we don't need to be messing around in the Near East, the Middle East. It's just not for us. They don't want us. They don't like us. So fine. But the fact is, there is actually a large and growing pro-Western alliance of countries. And the, and the fact is, we as a United States, to our shame, have not done enough. To reciprocate right there's there's a lot more that we could do we're doing we're doing a good amount I'm not saying we're doing nothing but the way that we've been so aggressively pursuing Iran in the, in the nuclear negotiations and the way that we've been soft on some other kind of bad guys in the region for our allies for our friends on the ground is is pretty disrespectful right and it makes them think well okay if America's not trustworthy then like then maybe we should talk to China Right. And they just there was just a big Arab leaders summit in Riyadh where Xi Jinping came and met all of these Arab leaders. What's that about? Why are they doing that? Because they have a sense that the United States is a little unstable at the moment, not really sure what it's doing, you know, at home, much less abroad. So they need to keep their options open. That shouldn't be. There's a lot more that we can do. I think Netanyahu on this point is right that we need to take not only a step, but two steps forward, strengthen our alliances; these regimes are not perfect, but I could I can make a pretty strong argument that they are they're on the right side of where this region needs to go, and to that extent, we should be we should be helping them because in the end, they're going to help us.
0: Building building off that a little, um, you know, obviously we've, we've discussed the geopolitics. What about the uh, what what does the return to power of uh, Netanyahu, what might it herald for uh, Christian communities in Israel proper, and also in the Palestinian territories?
1: It's a great, great question. Uh, for those who haven't been following it, uh, after a period of about two years, year and a half of uh, exile, so to speak, uh, Israel's longest-serving prime minister Benjamin Netanyahu is is back. He won the elections pretty soundly on November first. He's currently in the final stages of putting together his governing coalition the the big the big news item as I'm sure you both know is the fact that there are a couple of people in that government that are uh, you know let's say controversial at best outright you know racist and eager for war at worst these are people who are fringe even with even within the Israeli right who for, for different reasons, have found their way into government. It's... Uh, I say it's a good question because Christians in Israel, while there are many who speak Hebrew, there are there are some of Jewish ancestry, of course, there are some who come from abroad and live in Israel. The vast majority, however, are Arabic-speaking, right? Most of them are identify as Arabs, some as Arameans, but Arabic-speaking, and in the eyes of some of these more extreme elements are sort of classified just, just as Arabs, right? And, and therefore, in in their minds, enemies, you know, people who want to destroy Israel. Now, unfortunately, there's enough truth to to that to make it to make it re, you know resonate among some Israelis, right? A lot of Arabs do, in fact, <coughs> want to destroy Israel and say so pretty regularly, and often take action <laughs> to make it happen.
0: And, but, and, and as we were discussing the geopolitics, you know, I'm thinking, you know, obviously Hamas is backed by Iran.
1: Exactly, exactly. And a lot of this just gets conflated in the Israeli mind. And it's just this feeling that there's all of these people around us who want to destroy us. Now, of course, there are very few, if any, Christian terrorists uh, who have come out of you know, Palestine or anywhere in the region, right? There there have been a few, actually. So there's not none, but very few. Christians, by and large, just want to be left alone. Uh, but they're neither this nor that. I had one guy say to me once, very kind of insightful comment. He was telling me about his life in Jerusalem. He lives in the Old City. And it's actually a very good life. He's very successful and told me that he was thinking of moving to Canada. And I said, wow, I'm surprised. I understand somebody who's, Kind of locked in poverty, but but you of all people—that's that's really weird. Why is that? And he said, "Well, I just don't really—I don't fit here." Um, and this is like a Hebrew-speaking guy who who feels pretty comfortable in Israel. He said, uh, "You know, to the to the Jews, I'm an Arab, but to the Arabs, you know, 99% of which are Muslims, I'm a Christian. So where do, where do I fit?" Now, the good news is that is that. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu is actually more aware than most Israelis about the importance of the Christian population, both on the merits in terms of kind of the Jewish Christian relation, but also in terms of, you know, the, the optics of the state of Israel, like Netanyahu does not want to be known as whatever persecuting or presiding over the persecution of Christians. That's the good news, right, is that he's got an eye on this. And I I don't think he'll let any of that happen, at least with it isn't Israel proper. Um, the downside is that there are these people in the government um, who are, are just going to, you know, bound to cause trouble and, and are likely to kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater. And that's not even talking about Christians in Gaza under Hamas or in the West Bank under the Palestinian Authority. And those Christians are, are really the worst of all, right? Because they don't have the benefit of Israeli security and protection they are extremely and, and small and it's,
0: and it's Israeli and israeli law which at least in some ways as i understand it is liberal and protective
1: exactly exactly and i mean one stat that that kind of says it all while israelis controlled bethlehem up until the the 1990s 60 plus percent of the population was christian even after all of these centuries of um you know muslim uh, governance and all of that. Since then, that population has dwindled so much that they are they're a fraction of of the population these days. If you go to Bethlehem, it's a majority Muslim city. Nazareth uh, in Israel proper is not much different, but in Bethlehem, there's no there's no recourse. There's nowhere to go. And after COVID and shutting down of tourism, that community just plummeted in terms of of their their strength and their health. So. There are gradations, right? There are different kind of Christian communities in the Holy Land. They're all under slightly different circumstances. Galilee, you know, being under Israel protection is like the bright spot. That's where Christians do the best. They're very upwardly mobile, quite wealthy, uh, running hospitals, universities, other institutions. In a place like the West Bank and Gaza, it's really, really grim. And so long as there's no kind of conflict solution it's not likely that that situation is going to be better. So I think I think we're going to be seeing, unfortunately, um, some some pretty depressing headlines on that front over the next few years.
0: Uh, sir, is there anything else you'd like to
2: have? Uh, yes one one final question there. Um, this this just sounds like. Uh, such a, a gargantuan task, right? Especially when you talk about the plight of Christians in, say, Gaza um, or, and places like that where they're not quite so upwardly mobile. And I wonder, since you've got such a wall to climb, uh, and I, these kinds of um, pro- uh, projects are always generally pretty noble because it's it's such a difficult task, Um do you worry, I, I'm interested in this sort of pervasiveness of misinformation. Um, do you worry that the, the digital space is going to hinder you? Are you do, are you using it to help your organization, uh, to help what's going on, what you're trying to do there? Um, how, do you, how do you look at that?
1: Great question. Such a great question. Um, as much as I hate it, most people get their information from social media these days. And the younger you go, as we know, the more that's true and it does not take much i see it every week for some completely untrue story or let's say very skewed story to just take off on tiktok on instagram right about you know how the jews are persecuting christians or you know like there's this sort of concerted effort of uh, you know to destroy christianity in the region or inversely that Things are going really well in such and such country, such and such city, when I know for a fact, because I've been to many of these places, that it's going terribly. So there is a lot of misinformation there. This, the storylines don't line up with reality at all. And they're all missing context, right? If you, don't, if you don't see the region as a whole and you kind of get the big picture, what's, what's really going on, you know, part of which is there's an Islamic civil war that's been happening for years and is continuing to happen right in front of our faces in which Muslims who have rival visions of their own faith and their own civilization are duking it out, right? Unfortunately, over the heads of many of the Christians that live in the area and often blaming the Christians, you know, using them as scapegoats for whatever the society's problems are. Like if you don't see things like that, like the big context of this and you're just looking at some stupid 30 second video on TikTok, you're missing the whole point. So you ask, are we doing anything? We're talking
0: talking about, you know, hundreds of years of geopolitics, thousands of years of religion, uh, you know, all sorts of history, you know, all sorts of history, uh, that, that is, that does not distill down to 140 characters or 280 characters. Excuse me.
1: It's Uh, funny. Yeah. My comms team is always, they're amazing. But they're always like, hey, can you do a, you know, a 60 second video on like Christianity in Syria? And I'm like, are you crazy? What? Like, I, I'm too old to do that. I, I'm sure somebody can. But yeah, these issues are very hard for for TikTok, unless you're willing, like like many people on the other side are to just cut out all the, you know, the important context just to make a point. So we we're trying to do the counter, right? So we have people on the ground in some of these places. We ourselves are often on the ground, so we're trying our best to tell the other side of this, these stories, to to bring some some truth to it, and not like in a well, here's some facts, sir, but to just show it's that old advice to writers, right? Show don't tell. It's trying to give people a sense of the flavor. It's just so different when you see it, when you walk it out, right? When you feel what Christians feel in some of these places. Uh, you can't you can't do that on, a, on somebody's cell phone. So we're trying to do as best as we can. We try to bring people there. We do a lot of that. I started a program with a friend of mine to bring Christian college students to the Holy Land. It's called Passages. If people are interested in this, passagesisrael.org. You can go on a life-changing nine-day trip to the region to, to see the spiritual side of things and also the modern side, right? The political side and um, to see, to hear all of it. Um, and we've, we've taken almost 10,000 people on that trip since we started. It's uh, The price is extremely cheap considering how much these things cost and uh, people who want to go should go. The more people we can bring, the better. And it's not just for helping people over there. I always say this. It's also what I find to be the most impactful is how it, helps, how it helps us, right? When people go there and have that aha moment we talked about earlier, like, wow, this is a real place. And so therefore my faith is actually kind of real and Jesus actually is a real person. And it, it does something for us here, right? I always say that what Philo's project does is as much about helping the Near East as it is about stimulating revival in the West and particularly here in the U.S., so this is a this is a two way street. This is a dialogue that we've been trying to foster because we can. There's ways that we can help each other. There are things over there that we can learn too uh, that we've missed, you know, and, and just kind of being uh, buried in our own issues. Um, and we're always trying to point that out to people when we take these trips.
0: Well, before we let you go, uh, Robert, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about Philos Project or your work?
1: I would just say check out passagesisrael.org. I would say check out the Philos Action League and go to our website philosproject.org. Check out our social media stuff, speaking of which, and sign up. I mean, the Philos Action League, you don't have to be a PhD in, you know, Middle East history or whatever. You just have to be someone of goodwill who understands the connection between Christians and their Jewish neighbors and say, you know what, in this crazy day and age, I want to be one of those people. I want to show up. I, what do you got to do? Get a bouquet of flowers and be able to shake a hand. That's really all we're asking. And anybody who wants to become a member and actually do this work for real rather than talk about it, please, please, please sign up.
0: All right. Well, thanks again to Robert Nicholson of the Philos Project for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. If you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review.